0: It was great to gather with you around the word of the Lord and as we turn to Malachi chapter 2, we pick up where Kent left off last week. In the time when Judah's returned from exile, they're trying to get reestablished in their country. And Malachi is warning God's people not to think and act like the pagan people that surrounded them. They were in exile, trying to reestablish as a country. And to remember that they were God's chosen people. They were to remember God's covenants with them. And they were to act like the possessors of God's promises. And these people that he's speaking to, they're disheartened, disillusioned, discouraged, somewhat indifferent and doubting. And he confronts these people who are skeptical of God's promises. And he challenges them to return to the Lord and to worship and serve the Lord with all their hearts. I have found, even though this is a whole chapter of don't do, don't do's, I have found it really encouraging as we'll take somewhat of the positive. If you don't do this, then we should be doing this. And so it's, I found it encouraging to study this on the things that we should be doing. So that's the the approach I want to take. And I'm going to give this chapter the title of Ministry and Marriage. So with that, let's open with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come into your word now and ask that you would meet with us, that we would be equipped for ministry, that you'd encourage us in our marriages, and that we would um, not be disillusioned, but be encouraged in your covenants and the things you have ordained, and that we would be your children, obedient to you in all things. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to start here in the first nine verses of Malachi chapter 2. And I'm going to call this the covenant of ministry. And the priests are reproved for collecting the worship covenant. So let's read these first nine verses. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If ye will not hear, if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessing. Yea, I have cursed them already because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed And spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him, for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth. And iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people according as you did not keep my ways, but have been partial in the law. So verse 1 begins with the commandment to the priests. So who are these people? The priests. Look at verse 4. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant be with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So God is talking directly to the tribe of Levi, who were the priests, And who apparently were not fulfilling their responsibilities from God. What was the job description of these Levites? Look at verses 5 to 7. My covenant was with him of life and peace. I will give them fear. Give to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid of my name. Verse 6. The law of truth was in his mouth. Iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity. And did turn many away from iniquity. Verse 7 For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. God had entrusted the Levite priests to instruct God's people, and to be an example of turning away from iniquity. They were the official teachers of the land of Israel. As Leviticus tells us in chapter 10, 10 and 11, that you may put a difference between the holy and unholy, between clean and unclean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes of the Lord, which he had spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. So the function of the Levitical priesthood was to teach the people how to come to God, what was holy, what was unclean, what was the acceptable sacrifice. The priest's instruction was, was to happen by reading God's word to the people every seven years since the sons of Levi had possession of the law. So if you look at Deuteronomy 31.9, Moses wrote the law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord and unto the elders of the land. So Moses wrote the law, he gave it to the Levites. They were the guards of it. They didn't have the printing press in that day. Not everybody had a Bible. They had the Word of God there themselves. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years in the solemn solemnity of the year of release in the Feast of Tabernacles when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. Thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words of this law, and that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn, to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land, whither you go over the Jordan to possess it. So the Levites were to instruct the people, as we just read, and as Kent explained in the introduction that the context of Malachi is right during the time lifetime of Nehemiah, between his two visits. So look what happened at the instruction during Nehemiah's time in Nehemiah 8, verse 5. And Ezra, the priest, he opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, Amen with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now look at at the end there of verse 7. The Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which was a Tirsitha and Ezra, the priest of the scribe, and the Levites taught the people, Said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That was a wonderful day when Ezra read the law. The Levites gave the understanding. Apparently. This action did not continue. And God wanted the priest to instruct his people, and Hosea tells us why that's so important. In Hosea four six. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. In Hosea four fourteen. A people without understanding shall come to ruin. Hosea 5.4 They know not the Lord. And now look at Malachi 2.7 The priest's lips should keep knowledge. They should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. God was very serious about the Levites teaching his people and about the significance of obedience as Ezra demonstrated. And I know most of you have this verse memorized in Ezra. Ezra 7.10 For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What a great example Ezra the priest was to these people. A couple other examples. So when Asa was king, Azariah came to him in 2 Chronicles five fifteen 2 Second Chronicles 15.2 Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord was with you while you were with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. And when they were in distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. And we see that Asa accepted the instruction from Azariah, and took courage, and then the country put away the detestable idols, and they sought the Lord. And they punished the evildoers, and God was found by them, and God gave them rest all around. Same thing happened when Josiah, he was the last godly king of Judah. In Second Chronicles 35, he tells us that he specifically gave instruction to the Levites to go instruct all Israel and to teach God's word. Many times in scripture, there's a clear link demonstrated between godly instruction and the people following through with obedience to the Lord. Remember this thought. We're going to come back to it. So how did the Levites come to the office of priest? How did they get this job? And it turns out that the Levites gained the office of priest by their faithful actions to the Lord when Moses was gone, many days up into the mountain to receive God's commandments, the Ten Commandments, when he was up there with the Lord, the people said to Aaron in Exodus, uh, and this story is from Exodus 32. Remember they told Aaron, make us gods. And so he said, give me silver and, or gold, and he made a calf. He made up the story to Moses, and when Moses saw the people, um, he stood And he said, remember what Moses said when they were all there? Who is on the Lord's side? Come over here. And the Levites came. And the Levites gathered themselves unto them. And they said, Thus says the God of Israel, Put every man his sword on his side and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell that day about 3,000 men. And Moses said, Consecrate yourselves this day to the Lord. Then every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. So Moses and Aaron were the Levites, and the entire tribe of Levi identified with them, and God appointed them to leadership. And they were faithful to the Lord through that event, And in Numbers 18, God gave the priesthood to Aaron and to the tribe of Levi and their sons forever. Forty years later, when they were about to enter the promised land, in Numbers 25, verse 10, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, turned away my wrath from the children of Israel, while he was jealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. He shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God, and he made atonement for the children of Israel. God never forgot his covenant to those Levites. But with this covenant, there was a great responsibility and a service that God required of them. So each year, uh, I sit down and have my job review with my boss, and he can tell me good job, bad job, or eliminate my job. But that wasn't the case with the Levites. When they didn't correctly fill their job responsibility, their covenant with God, there were other actions that God could take, and he has taken in history. When Aaron's sons were priests, with the privilege of being priests, there came a responsibility to faithfully represent God's instruction. There's an incident with the family of Aaron that's recorded for us in Numbers 3, verse 2. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, the priests which were appointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office. And Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord. And there was a seriousness, there is a seriousness about serving the Lord in the office of priest, and God is reminding them of this responsibility in Malachi. So were they fulfilling their job description? Look at verse 8 of Malachi 2. The Levites are departed out of the way. They have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people. According as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. The priests had failed to master God's law and to teach it faithfully to God's people, you have favored the wealthy and shown partiality and you will be destroyed. Faithfulness is required in a servant. Now look at verses 2 and 3. If you will not hear, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory to God's name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessings, yea, I have cursed them already because ye did not lay it to heart. behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung on your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Live to bring honor and glory to God's holy name. Bring God's truth into our situations. And this is a really vivid description of what God says about his cursing upon them. Some of you know what it's like to do Plumbing work in a sewer line. And the awful, sickening smell of sewer sludge. And God has given this description to the Levites. If you don't honor the Lord, he will take that part of the sacrifice that you discard, the dung, and bring it back upon your faces and bring it into your feasts. If you discard the Lord, the Lord will take the dung that you're discarding and bring it back upon you. What a strong condemnation against him. And it shows us that godly instruction is so important to God. James 3.1 My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now we come to the part of the passage that has been a repeated problem. The subject of marrying foreign non-believing women. So we move from the covenant of ministry to the covenant of marriage. And we'll look at verses 10 through 17. And the husbands are reproved for neglecting their marriage covenant. So let's read here beginning in verse 10. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by prevailing the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that she, he regardeth not the offer any more, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hands. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion, and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says that he hates putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say... Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? We come to the key word of this chapter, which is treacherous. The ESV uses faithless. And it is a word used to describe Judah. What did Judah do? Look at the end of verse 11. For Judah has profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and has married the daughter of a strange God. Treachery. What is it? From the theological word book of the Old Testament, definition for the Hebrew word is a person who does not honor an agreement. The root of the word means to deceive. It's a verb, it is used to denote unfaithfulness in relationships. It is used in connection with unfaithfulness in marriage. Jeremiah 9.2 uses it to describe Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord. To question God's justice is an act of treachery in Psalms 73.15. When we are unfaithful to the Lord's covenant, we may also be unfaithful to our brothers, as we see here in Malachi 2.10. The word is also used of breaching man-made treaties. And the social responsibilities expected in normal human relationships. And then Proverbs 11.6 warns us that the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. There is no problem for a Jewish man to marry a Gentile woman if she was a believer. As in the case of Boaz and Ruth. But in this case the Jewish men were marrying pagan women and bringing her pagan gods with her. And God gave clear instruction in Exodus thirty-four sixteen and Deuteronomy 7, 3 that the Jews were not to intermarry with the many nations around them. And we see in Ezra, as we've studied before, that when he found out about this practice, his reaction was so vivid that we should read that. In Ezra chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. The princess came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of these lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and plucked off the hair out of my head and out of my beard, and sat down astonished. What astonishment. This is one of the key commandments that God gave them. And verses 11 through 13 tell us why their treachery caused their worship to be abandoned. Look at verse 13. They were groaning and crying and covering the Lord's altar with tears because God was not accepting their sacrifice and blessing them. And you're complaining that God is not blessing your worship. Would you really like to know why? Look at verse 11. You have married the daughter of a strange God and have profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will cut off the man that does this. And the Lord tells us again that the ministry of a married man is an outgrowth of the faithfulness demonstrated at home as the requirements of serving in the church as an elder are detailed for us in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. One that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? These Levites had grossly failed in their worship because of the faithlessness and treachery to their wives. Marriage is the foundational building block of God's ordained institutions that create society because we spend more time with our spouses than we do with any other group in society. Why don't you accept our sacrifices? Look at verse 14. Because of treachery. Such is the result of a hard heart when God directly instructed them and they didn't listen. Because the Lord has been the witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have been faithless, even though she is your wife by covenant and companionship. When God created the world, and everything was described as very good, except for one detail, in Genesis two eighteen, when the Lord said, it is not good. The Lord said it was not good, and this was before there was any sin. In a place that was a perfect paradise. And God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help me for him. Back in Malachi, verse 14, she is your companion. Proverbs five eighteen, rejoice with the wife of your youth. And also for the wife in Joel 1, 8, rejoice in the husband of her youth. The wife of your youth is your companion, your lifetime companion, and we should rejoice in our marriages. We measure our lives by time. And when you give of your time to someone, you give your life. When you marry, you give to each other your time, your life, your youth, your strength, and your childbearing years. The wife you took in your youth, the wife you were so pleased with when you first married, with so many dreams and plans ahead. And now you're beginning to hate her in your old age, and that is treachery. Why do we give up so much joy and rejoicing in our marriages through the years? A few thoughts come to mind. First, we let our love for the Lord grow cold. Second, joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not a result of our situations. Joy in this life is found in the Lord, not through coveting a better situation or a life with fewer problems in it. And third, you remember the parable of the sower that Jesus gave. What happened with the seed that fell among thorns? The cares of this world choked the crop so that the harvest was lost. And I get that parable with the 24-7 responsibilities of life. It is so easy to let the cares of this world choke out God out of our lives. I've done it. Maybe it's also happened to you, especially when we're sleep-deprived. When the pressures of life come upon us, do we respond in patience and humility with the fruits of the Spirit? Or do the pressures of this life choke out God out of our lives? Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 14 ends with, Your wife by covenant, and did not he, or God, make one? In verse 15. Did God make them one? This is a reference to Adam and Eve. God didn't take five ribs out of Adam and make for five wives for him. There was one. One man, one woman, is the pattern that God created when he instituted the covenant of marriage. Before there was any sin in our hearts, as Jesus taught in Mark 10, verse 6, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So then they are no more two but one flesh. What therefore is God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And Jesus also honored marriage by choosing to perform his first miracle at, the, at a marriage and by teaching that the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. And in Hebrews thirteen four. Let marriage be held in honor among all. We live in a society that is all about self and continues to spiral downward in its concept of marriage. Does God expect us to follow his instruction about marriage that he gave us at the creation of the world with Adam and Eve? Yes, he does. That is what God intends marriage to be. Did not God make one There is so much divorce and belittling of marriage today. Does that make marriage bad? No. The covenant of marriage was instituted in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve before sin came into the world. Marriage is an institution created by God and is the fundamental building block of human society. As God's Institution of marriage breaks apart. Society itself breaks apart. Marriage is an honorable institution of the Lord. And if we despise God's good gift and the covenant of marriage, we then hold God in contempt because he is the one that gave us this good gift. To belittle marriage is to belittle our holy God. If we have struggles in our marriages, if we have an unhappy marriage, We shouldn't blame God's institution of marriage. It is not because God created the institution of marriage in a flawed method. Marriage is God's covenant. Marriage is God's design. And God has created each of us. When things are not going well in my marriage, I need to go look in the mirror. Not complain against God's institution. Marriage is a solemn and sacred covenant before God and we should rejoice in it. So why did God make a plan for one wife? That there may be godly children. We need the divine structure in our homes, including a father and a mother. Therefore, take heed to yourself and do not deal treacherously with your wife. The families in this church are so blessed with children, and children are a blessing from the Lord. And you know the verses. I want to encourage you in this. In Psalms 127, Children are an heritage of the Lord. Children, the fruit of the womb, is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. We just read in Mark 10, where Jesus taught about marriage. What happens next in Mark 10? Mark 10. Jesus taught about the importance of children. Picking up in Mark 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So back in Malachi, verse 16, this is where the condemnation hits a peak. For the Lord, the God of Israel says, he hates putting away. God hates divorce. And when the question by the Pharisees about marriage, Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees about marriage, the disciples said, if you cannot divorce whenever you want, then it is good not to marry in Matthew 19.10. Take your time when you, have, when you marry. You have the rest of your life to live with your decision. To live with your covenant. And those who were supposed to teach the truth had failed. Now tie the instruction of this chapter together. Those who are responsible for the care of people to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And coming back to the responsibility of leaders to teach. For those of us who are husbands and dads. How are we doing in the instruction in our homes? I give you 1 Peter 2 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people. But now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. We have an enemy that wants to steal the joy in our marriages, kill any hope that we have in God, and to destroy Our marriages. Christ came to give life. And to give it abundantly. This chapter. Concludes. With a charge against the priests. That they were saying. That the Lord delights. In everyone. Who does evil. Do we justify. Sin in our lives. So with that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word the challenge to these Levites here in chapter 2 and the instruction that you love people who teach that you love marriage that you created it that's the building block for society grant us that we would follow through on the things that you teach us in your word that we would um, Be your obedient children in these things. In Christ's name, amen.